I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. I'm speaking to you between holidays, which was fun for me. So I just got back from a few days in Italy, which was really nice. And me and Caroline think it was like a bigger splash. (laughs) Yes. So you posted this photograph on Instagram that looked exactly like a still from that film, which we did talk about on the podcast a couple of months ago. That one with Tilda Swinton and Matthew Shurnutz. I think that's how you say his name. The handsome man who was also in A Little Chaos is the one I mean. And Ray Fiennes' penis was also in that film. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that kind of Italian landscape and the kind of really flat blue pool looked exactly like that film. And it was coastal as well, which is weird. Mm. I don't normally go to the coast in Italy. But yeah, it was really nice. There were no dead bodies or Ray Fiennes' penis or anything like that, but lots of ricotta. Which also was in the film. Yes. So it was ideal. So I was basically just lying around in the sunshine, doing a bit of eating or a lot of eating and drinking and some reading it was quite relaxing mm, what have you nice. been up to since i've been away i have been furiously reading this book that i'm obsessed with called the essex serpent by mm. sarah perry which i highly recommend everyone go out and buy before it sells out everywhere there's a quote on the back that i think sums it up really well it kind of says that it's like a marriage of charles dickens and bram stoker oh my god that sounds fun so it's like a 19th century novel with all the social conscience of dickens mm-hmm. but also with the chillingness of dracula that's sounds so fun and the titular Essex serpent is this mythical beast that's out in the outer Thames estuary and people are afraid it's going to come and get them oh my god I'll definitely try and give that a go I actually weirdly find Dickens like the best holiday read yeah because you can really turn the pages yeah, and just but also, go for it yeah there's there's a kind of cliffhangeriness to it yeah it's great yeah. so maybe I'll try and get a copy of that for my holiday and maybe we'll talk about it listeners mm. who knows when this is coming through your ears listeners I'll be away in the states which is really exciting for me I'm going to be in the Hamptons like I don't know Blair Waldorf or something (laughs) so that'll be fun thanks to everyone who told me things that I should do in the States we had a really nice email from Amelia who says she's an American 14 year old who listens to the podcast and she enjoys it which is really nice so any actual teens that listen to the show let us know if you're existence because we love that and she's given me loads of great recommendations so thank you Amelia that's really sweet of you and I'll try and check some of those out and we've also heard from Ellen who has given us another installment in our long-running series 
of male-female friendships where there's never any romantic tension. She suggests Wallace and Veronica on Veronica Mars, who have a great friendship based on mutual respect and it never turns romantic in any way. That's a really good one. That is a really good one. I have never watched Veronica Mars, although it's kind of been on the periphery of, you know, Netflix saying, if you like this, you'll like that for a long time. So maybe I should actually get involved. Yeah, it's like definitely on the cultural radar, Mm. but I'm the same. So that might be something for us to explore at one point. I want to also say thanks to Emily, Alex Denver and the lovely Lizzie Modler for figuring out that the listener who emailed in last week asking about an obscure mockumentary was actually describing a programme called Review. So if anyone liked the sound of it from that listener's question, then do check it out. I also would personally like to extend some very sincere thanks to Marie France and Kate Sutton for figuring out that the CBBC thing that we were talking about with, you know, witness protection program, 90s, weird, dark... Dog murder. Dog murder. uh, is actually called See How They Run. And I think it's an Australian-made program. Ah. But yeah, it was on CBBC. Check it out. It's all on YouTube. So if you want to watch this, like, weird six-part... They're, like, six parts and they're all 20 minutes and I may or may not have, like, had a little binge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I saw long-time listener of the podcast Simon Alvey saying on Twitter that he may have also watched all of it on YouTube (laughs) in one night so I'm glad that we've spread see how they run to a wider audience again check it out it's crazy oh we should also remind you again that we're coming up to our first birthday episode so if you have recommendations for things that we should have covered in the first year of seriously but didn't hit us up seriouslypod at gmail.com we will also be accepting birthday gifts obviously yeah gifts Particularly gifts of cake will be welcome (laughs) if you happen to want to do that. Okay, so on with the show. The first thing we're going to talk about this week is Harry Potter. I'm going to call it Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, because that's how I like to say it. (laughs) What, not cursed, cursed. (laughs) Yeah, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is a new play advertised as the eighth story in the Harry Potter series currently showing in London. The story is co-written by J.K. Rowling, Jack Thorne and John Tiffany, and it's shown in two separate performances, part one and part two. So this opened last Tuesday and Thursday at the Palace Theatre. I was there, which was exciting for me. So yeah, part of the first audience to see part one and part two. Yeah, and you were really, really excited. So excited. You came home early from holiday in order to go to this play. (laughs) Such a privileged tragedy in that I like booked my holiday to America and then realised that it was the same time as these Harry Potter plays. So me and my boyfriend rescheduled our flights, (laughs) not rescheduled our tickets, but rescheduled our flights so that we could make the opening performance. You had to get there an hour early. So we got these emails like two weeks before the performance being like, You've got to get there an hour early. You can't have a bag that's over 31 by 44 centimetres. Any smaller bags will be searched. You must be in your seat 15 minutes before the performance, etc, etc. Which is, you know, magical fun. (laughs) Yeah, magical scheduled fun. Yeah. What what were they worried about, do you think? I don't really know if it was a thing about cameras being smuggled into people's bags and stuff. And I think also just because there's a lot of excited people taking selfies at every available moment, maybe they were a bit like, come with lots of time. It's a 1,500 seat Mm. theatre. Basically, because it's a hot ticket, they have to be careful about like people trying to film the performance. It was in the Telegraph beforehand that they were selling tickets for £800. I know, she says, knowing 
considering that she spent quite a lot of money rescheduling those flights and buying tickets but you know it is obscene but it was crazy because they had these like big long queues and everyone was decked out in so everyone was dressed up yeah like at the launch of a book did remind me of that i have to say because i did all of that from the fourth book onwards there was a really good luna lovegood you might have seen her picture in some of the coverage if you've been following it she looked great i've actually not been looking at any of the coverage for reasons of not wanting to be spoiled i don't have tickets to go and see the play but i have got my copy of the play text on pre-order and i'm going to read it when it comes out at the end of july just to reassure other listeners who are doing this too we're not going to spoil what happens in the play for you because i don't want to know anna hasn't told me and i don't want her to tell me i'm trying not to tell anyone actually there's a sort of big campaign surrounding this as you may or may not know jk rowling is telling people to hashtag keep the secrets and hashtag don't be a wormtail <laughs> i love the last one because obviously the worst thing that wormtail did was you know break a promise not to tell a secret yeah. it definitely wasn't that he got his friends murdered and then tried to get away with that yeah, yeah. it was not the inherent telling of the secret it was more the fact that the telling of the secret led to their deaths that is the problem with that one don't kill the play is what she's saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically if you tell your friends about this someone will die it's a big deal and she really doesn't want any of the surprises to get out about the play and i do understand having seen the plays that concept i would say it does rely on a surprise factor without saying any more than that so everyone was dressed up it was a really kind of festive excited occasion Mm. i'm sure Mm -hmm. but once you were actually in your seat and you were like i'm about to see the eighth story (laughs) in the harry potter series how did you feel? I was so excited. My boyfriend was trying to tell me to like keep a handle on the excitement because he was like, you will be disappointed if you get too excited. The atmosphere inside the theatre as well was just ridiculous. From before it started, there was cheering and whooping and clapping. JK Rowling herself was there. She was there. She was there. She was sat in a box above my head. I may or may not at one point have like run slightly further into the stalls so that I could catch a glimpse of her, (laughs) (laughs) which was fun. Every line, every joke, every reveal, the audience reaction was so top level. I can't imagine what it would be like to perform to a crowd so 100% on side like that. Mm. It felt elating just to be in that room it was crazy Mm. i understand that there were some technical hitches as well with the play i mean it's still in previews right and traditionally with theater you do previews like this to test out stuff like the set and Mm -hmm. the entrances and exits and all that kind of thing so that by the time you invite the press in which they're not doing for another like six weeks or so are they yeah it's a two-month preview run which is very very long even by london standards which are longer than the states basically to like stress test the show Mm -hmm. and i can see why they've done that in a sense because there's a lot of technical aspects of this production it's heavy on like the production value which are all fantastic the effects are really really clever the acting is amazing i think considering this was an opening night preview performance everything was pretty much perfect there were a couple of well-reported technical hitches. So there's a moment where someone receives an owl and they use a live owl. <laughs> and the owl sort of flew out. And I think it was meant to land either on a table or on maybe Harry's arm or something. But it just flew into the crowd. <laughs> and Jamie Parker, bless him, just sort of produced this scroll from somewhere and was like, oh, a bit late for an owl and continued very well. But it sort of just flapped around the theatre for the rest of the first half of the play. That's actually something that I learned much to my astonishment when I went to the Harry Potter studio tour for my birthday back in April that they did use live owls in the films Mm, as well mm -hmm. when you just assume oh it must be CGI it's like no no no. there's a 
whole gallery of our animal performers. <laughs> yeah, and there's several people just employed yeah, to like be whole the owl people. To be the owl wranglers. <laughs> and like several different owls played Hedwig over the course of the different films and stuff. So this owl then refused to go back to its trainer, right? And it just Yeah, it just sort of stayed in the, in the like it, first of all it was like in the theatre, I don't know, probably by a person or in a box. It might even have been in JK's box, I don't know. And then it flew sort of onto the what's that bit called? You know, above in any performance you've got sort of big bars where there are wires and stuff for the set oh the flies that's called yeah, yeah the, flies. the flies so it flew into the flies and stayed there for ages and there was just like this owl hander like in the circle somewhere with like this red light going <laughs> just waving <laughs> his little red light and the owl was just like having none of it anyway so there will be no more live owls in any uh, other performances oh. they jacked in the live owl as soon as that happened which i think was a good decision all oh. in all. well i'm glad you got to see the owl though me too so apart from that the production values were pretty much perfect i have to say that they were not my problem with the play at all but you did have a problem with the play. I did have a problem with the play. And I don't want to say any more about it, really, because everyone should be able to make up their own mind. This is the kind of thing where you don't want to be influenced mm. by any outside stuff. For me, the story was fundamentally not good and not something that I'm interested in. It used a, a sort of narrative technique that I don't like and I'm not interested in in the Harry Potter universe. Others may disagree. Others may love that story. But everyone, I guess, will read the playtext when it comes out and have their views Maybe we'll talk about it when yeah, you've read I it. Yeah, I think we should reconvene at the beginning of August and discuss further. I will say, apart from that, it was all really, really good. But obviously that's quite a big hurdle to get over if you just don't like the story of something. Yeah, and I feel like when it's a new instalment in a canon that is as famous and as well-known as Harry Potter the story is the main thing right? yeah and the characters and i felt like a lot of the characters we know and love were a bit ripped off mm. by this performance which surprised me but that's how i felt and obviously i'm so partial i'm so biased i love the books so much that i just can't stay neutral i'm always going to give a really subjective view i can't have any sort of objective opinion on like whether the characters were well drawn or not because i just felt like they were contradictory either with their book selves or with themselves within the play with Weirdly. That was my basic problem with it. But we'll see what people think when it's all out there and there are no mm. longer any secrets to keep. Well, I wonder the extent to which anybody can be objective about this. This is the thing. And also it does trade on the idea that people won't be. Yeah. The fact that people are going to buy £200 tickets to see a play. That they know nothing about and that they're actively being discouraged not to know anything about. Trades on the idea that they will be over-invested in it. And I think a lot of the narrative choices the characters that are in this, the jokes that are in this also depend on that. So it's not going to work for anyone if it doesn't work for the people who are really, really invested because it would be too confusing, I think, Mm. for someone who didn't know the series. But we'll see what people think. I know that already I'm in the minority judging from the majority of fan reactions since it seems to have been overwhelmingly positive. And then there's me and my cynical boyfriend (laughs) who weren't so impressed. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. And I'm more than willing to be persuaded if everyone else thinks it's actually a great piece of literature. Okay, well, tune in in a couple of months' time to find out (laughs) i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Further updates, yeah. Now we're going to talk about Love and Friendship, which is a film adaptation of Jane Austen's epistolary novel Lady Susan. It was written and directed by Whit Stillman and stars Kate Beckinsale and Chloe Savini. It concerns the society adventures of the widowed Lady Susan Vernon in 1790s England as she tries to outrun scandalous rumours to secure husbands for herself and her daughter. <laughs> Have you read the novella? Yes, but a long time ago. I haven't. I've read the other six Jane Austen novels. Yeah, um, so there's but... six completed Jane Austen yeah. novels. So I've got quite fancy complete works of Jane Austen and there's like Lovely. six proper volumes and then there's a seventh volume which has Lady Susan and a whole load of her other kind of juvenilia where she started lots of different she did novels. like histories which I love yeah. I love the juvenilia of Austen and so just to make it extra confusing one of the other juvenilia in that volume is called Love and Friendship so he's oh, borrowed really? the title for the film from another Jane Austen ah. scrap as it were and but used the plot of Lady Susan. That's interesting. This basically the plot of Love and Friendship is widowed Lady Susan searching for her next partner and yeah. also a partner for her daughter. That's a very reductive way of looking at it, but that's basically the plot. So she's using Chloe Savini as her best friend to sort of advise her on this. Yes. So that's, I guess, where the title of Love and Friendship comes to play into this. Yes, right? I think what he's trying to say is that the titular friendship is between Kate Beckinsale's character, Lady Susan, and her best friend, Alicia Jordan who is an American but lives in London and then the love of the title is the love that Lady Susan is seeking i.e. a husband but she's not really seeking love but at all but she's not she? it's ironic you know love is just a tool to her to get what she wants which is safety and security financial security financial security and this is an interesting point with this film because I think on one level Lady Susan is the villain like she manipulates people she lies to people she does whatever is in her own best interests mm -hmm. sometimes even to the detriment of her own daughter mm -hmm. to get what she wants which is obviously not good and she is a kind of morally dubious character to put it lightly but also she is a widow with no money who is dependent on the kindness of her in-laws and her relatives to have anywhere to live mm -hmm. she 
has probably very little education and there's no potential profession she can follow or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So in another sense, she's just doing what she has to. Yeah, exactly. She's just got a way about her, hasn't she? That's the problem. But she's very, very charismatic wonderfully played by Kate Beckinsale absolutely amazing and I really hope incidentally that this is the beginning of Kate Beckinsale the slightly older actress doing interesting roles that would be really cool because I feel like to her great credit she's really milked the kind of I'm young and hot I can be the hero in Underworld I can make loads of money from an action franchise etc etc but she is an outstanding like straight actress I was really really impressed by her performance in this the character is just so interesting to watch and charismatic and funny and clever that even if you don't necessarily want her to win, you want to keep watching her. Yeah, and her dialogue is so sharp. So and sharp. She's so glib and she's so completely invested with the society mores of her time mm-hmm. that you're kind of fascinated by her. The performances in this all round I thought were really, really good mm. because you really need good performances to keep a level of pace in a film like this. So it is extremely quick-witted and there's constant sort of sparring dialogue and it's all very sort of light, yes. isn't it? And I think for that to be carried lightly and for it to seem not like a drag in any way you need really really good funny performances yes because you don't get any action from anywhere else it's all character yeah. driven like they're, as they're you'd a... expect from austin I guess. exactly there's no external events that are going to give you any help whatsoever you can't have a great big set piece carriage chase or anything like mm. that you know it's all inside drawing rooms or little turns about the lawn people talking to each other that's all you've got and i think whit stillman made some really interesting directorial decisions with that that relate to it in that it looks a lot like a kind of BBC period drama you know lots of amazing interiors great costumes incredible hairstyles country houses etc but he deviated from the set tropes in a a few ways that really help it one is the music Mm -hmm. he didn't use a film scorey sound swelling strings he used what sounds to me anyway like actual music of the period in properly recorded versions Mm -hmm. so a lot of the time it sounds like it could just be someone singing in another room or whatever it doesn't give you that sense of surreality that like a kind of swelling string soundtrack gives you yeah and it was very pacey again like the dialogue and everything else it's that kind of music that keeps you on the edge of the seat like almost a bit suspenseful exactly yeah exactly and then also he broke the fourth wall a bit particularly at the beginning to introduce all the characters Mm -hmm. so rather than having expository dialogue that's like and this is sir james martin he is the brother of blah 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 i should introduce you you know Mm -hmm. when the first time you see a character you get a shot of them looking straight into the camera and then underneath their face some text appears on the screen telling you who they are Mm -hmm. he was quite playful with text throughout as well wasn't he so for example when someone's reading out a letter you get all of the text appearing on screen like verbatim yeah there's a really funny little exchange about that isn't there where i've forgotten his name but he's hugo from the vicar of dibley (laughs) he's also the son from sense and sensibility who's inheriting so he plays one of the older figures in the plot and he's married to jenna redgrave Mm -hmm. and she's just received a letter from their daughter but she's got a cold and she doesn't want to read it so she asked him to read it and there's clearly some like prior beef between them that he doesn't read things properly so she says and read all of it don't you know just read the bits you want to read so he reads all of it including the punctuation Mm -hmm. so he goes like dear mother comma and as he's reading the comma will appear the comma will appear on the screen (laughs) it's just an example of like heightening the gag isn't it like it would be funny if they just did that scene with the dialogue but having it on screen as well 
makes it all the funnier. Yeah, I completely agree with you that this was a film that was shot like a BBC period drama, but not edited like one. It was edited much more playfully, much more quickly, and in terms of, you know, the pace of when you're watching it. And yeah, just with more fun and slight weirdness. It was almost like a BBC period drama edited in a Wes Anderson way. Yeah, exactly. It's just put together. All of the kind of production things surrounding the visuals make it a bit more interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. It never dragged and it felt like it went quite quickly that hour and a half or whatever. It just sort of runs over you. Mm. There's not loads of depth to this film. You don't have to spend ages trying to guess different characters' motivations. You don't have to spend ages trying to figure out any symbolism or wider themes they're pulling at. You just sort of race along with it and it's really funny and it's really enjoyable and everything's tied up nicely by the end. And I don't know, there's something quite pleasurable about that in a film experience. Yeah, in a sense, it actually reminds me of the drama of the period. So stuff like She's Dupes to Conquer and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, plays where the whole point of them was to take some characters that were little more than expressions of tropes like Mrs. Malaprop and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and then screw them up into a really complicated situation and then spend the third act detangling it it. into a neat solution. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what happens in this. In that you meet all these characters, they very quickly get intertwined into complicated relationships and then she untwiddles it and that's the end. Yeah, I completely agree. And I loved that. I found yeah. it quite refreshing. It was just like a nice glass of water at the end of the long day that you could just down and then be like, that was really, really enjoyable. <laughs> Drama doesn't have to be dramatic in order yeah. to be good. Or like cloying yeah. or overwrought. It was just perfect as it was. So last week I recommended that Caroline watch the latest round of Louis Theroux documentaries that have been on the BBC. So Caroline, which one did you go for? I watched Drinking to Oblivion, the one about extreme alcoholism. Okay, cool. Which I found completely compelling. It's an hour long, but it felt like it went past in a blink. When it finished, I was like, oh, is that it? Because I was so drawn into it. So it's based in King's Hospital, am I remembering that right? In South London, yeah. So he goes and meets basically some regular visitors that the hospital has, and they are regular visitors as a result of their alcoholism, right? Yeah, so there's a few sort of different characters that you get to know, I think probably three altogether. There's Peter, this South African guy who's drunk to kind of deal with various mental health problems, and his father has recently died, and he's just gone into a total spiral. Mm -hmm. And so he's ended up in the special alcohol ward again being helped. There's this woman, Orally... She says she's been drinking since she was 15 Mm. and she drinks kind of like 10 to 12 cans of cider a day. But she says she doesn't really feel it anymore. She just has to do it to just be able to function really. Mm. And she is kind of in the position now where she's in her mid 40s and they're starting to detect some serious health problems because of this long-term alcohol abuse. So her story is about how, why should I even carry on? I'm not sure I can stop drinking, but all of these other things are going wrong with me. What do I Mm -hmm. do? And then I think, judging by the reviews and stuff I read after I watched it, the one that really grabbed people when it broadcast was this guy, Joe. Mm. If you just saw him on the street, you would never classify him as having this kind of problem. But he says it himself, like he cannot cope with rejection or failure. He's not like Orly. He's not a kind of systematic daily drinker. So I think in this case, 
what goes wrong is that he doesn't get a job that he's gone for or something mm-hmm. and he just goes into like a four-week bender yeah so he's sort of the opposite style yeah. of drinker isn't he and that he's like sober most of the time and then has these like periods of extreme binging whereas someone like Orly is just constantly low having, level yeah having to have it to keep going yeah there's this really dramatic moment where he gets hospitalized but he's still drunk like he's not even sobered up yet and mm-hmm. he's in this room with Louis Theroux and he's going oh I just want to leave I really hate it here I just gotta go I gotta go and get another drink and Louis's like I don't think you should Joe I think you should stay here I think mm. you should you know let them help you and then Joe leaves he walks out of the hospital and Louis and one of the doctors are standing outside the hospital and, and the doctor's like I don't really know what to do like I could call the police to try and get him to come back in but if he doesn't seem to want to cooperate with our help what's the point like I could get someone else to have this treatment who does want it and the problem is as well that they're having is that when someone like Joe comes in with a really acute case where they're having this one moment of extreme binging and they're really really drunk they can detox them for what a few days or something it takes a few days yeah but it's not something that your body can cope with on a regular basis. If you start entering a cycle of binging and detoxing, your body will quite quickly start to have really bad effects to it. And they're really only meant to do it for people that they think are not going to keep coming back. And yeah. if Joe is leaving mid, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't, it's not yeah. looking good for him. But in classic Louis Theroux way, there's a really tense moment when they're just standing there, like basically discussing this. And then suddenly Louis goes like, isn't that him? <laughs> and he comes walking back down the road and he's holding a bottle. And the doctor's like, Joe, I can't let you back in if you've gone and got alcohol. Like, mm. that's just not how this works. And he's like, he's still drunk from the what he, they were detoxing him before. But he was like, no, 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 it's Perrier, it's Perrier and she takes a bottle of him and she opens it and she sniffs it and she's like okay <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and they let him back so in bad. it's really funny that he did garner so much sympathy and so much of people's interest was with him primarily mm. because he's so what he's maybe in his early 30s 32 or something but he probably looks a little younger although yeah, he looks he a little worn worn out by life he's sort of got a pretty posh accent yeah. he looks very middle class He's handsome. He's basically just a picture of like a young middle class man. And I think people watching almost, I mean, I'm sure I fell into the exact same trap, associate alcoholism with being working class almost. And being poor and having other issues that Mm -hmm. have led you to that. Or being so, so outside of the usual person's experience in terms of, you know, maybe you've had an extremely traumatic childhood or maybe you've had a bereavement, these Mm. kinds of things. And actually it doesn't always have to be that way. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So actually, I felt far more invested in Aurelie's story. Yeah. I, I found her much more interesting. She was a very yeah. compelling mm. person, wasn't she? Because she was clearly extremely smart. And so charismatic as and well. And very charismatic, but so resigned to her own failure and so mm. resigned to the idea that, that she wasn't going to get back on her feet. And that's really horrible to watch because you, when you root for someone, you want to see something in them, not to get all Tyra Banks yeah. about it, but you want to see something in them that shows that they care. And she just didn't seem to care. She must do deep down, but she just, she seemed so tired, just so tired out by it, this yeah. constant cycle. But, you know, the fact that she was still attending her appointments and stuff, I think does show that she she does care a bit. Because mm. if she really didn't care, she just stopped bothering to go at all. Yeah. But yeah, it was a really interesting way of, exploring that issue though as you would expect from a Louis Theroux documentary because we didn't get any statistics about how prevalent is alcoholism in the UK or anything Mm. like that was just these three stories and some atmosphere of what it's like in the unit a bit of discussion with the people who work there Mm. and a little bit of seeing them treat people and that was kind of it yeah and it painted a very sort of stark and bleak picture of what it's like to live with this both for the people who have it and also for the people they love and people around them 
And then that was it. There was no like, but the government's launching a new initiative and it's all going to be fine. It was just, this is it. This is how it is. It's very sad. Not our cheeriest watch, but a really interesting film. So it's still on iPlayer actually. So do go and seek it out if you can, I'd say. If anyone's interested in the other one, which was about uh, people who've had traumatic brain injuries and about how that basically changes your neurology. And that was equal parts sad, interesting, and just very, very human, which is, I guess, why people keep coming back to Louis through documentaries. So what am I watching, reading, doing for next week, Caroline? So for next week, I'm going to recommend you something that couldn't be further away from Louis <laughs> Theroux's Drinking That's to Oblivion. Like. It's the 2013 remake of The Lady Vanishes, which okay. is a famous Alfred Hitchcock film from the late 30s. And I was just reading about it recently, actually. It was kind of the first film at which Hitchcock became Hitchcock, if you know what I mean. Mm. He'd made films before, but they hadn't been that successful. He definitely wasn't thought of as a kind of great director or auteur or something. He made this film and suddenly everything else flowed from that. And it's a kind of Agatha Christie-esque although not in any way connected to Agatha Christie thriller, about a beautiful young woman who's part of a kind of hard-drinking fast set. She's on holiday with them out somewhere on the continent. and then, Sounds just like me. Great. Exactly. This is your life. <laughs> and then she decides to come back on her own and she gets a train like across the continent. And while she's on the train, a lady vanishes. Oh, whoa. So a woman that she is convinced that she met and spoke to and talked to suddenly just isn't there anymore. And everyone else on the train like acts like she's crazy. 1930s thrillers like this, they love trains and yeah, disappearances. They love, they love trains and they love to like gaslight young women as well. Yeah. So there's, yeah. So basically the whole train is gaslighting her being like, there was never a woman. There was no person and here. So she, but she's obsessed with the idea that, no, there was, I spoke to her and she's gone and someone has taken her, but they're on a train. Where could she go? That's really cool. Okay, I'll check it out. So it's like locked room mystery meets Orient Express yeah. murder thing. Yeah, and so they remade it in 2013 with Tuppence Middleton playing the part of the young woman and Keely Hawes is in it as well. Love a bit of Keely Hawes. Yeah, so it's basically a really good, like, glamorous BBC3 remake of a very famous old film. Oh my god, I'm going to watch it with, like, a glass of wine and maybe some, like, camembert. Yeah. It's going to be wicked. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and that they should be listening to it too. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. 
From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina. 